Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Bernie Soreo, the proprietor of an eco-friendly sanctuary in Portugal. Hear her remarkable journey from a childhood in Mozambique during a civil war to finding and creating beauty no matter where her life has taken her. Please welcome Bernie Soreo. Welcome, Bernie, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? I think there's been a few of those. I had to reinvent myself a few times. So if there is one inflection point that you can sort of draw the line to, to where you are today, what would that be? My husband and I moved to Asia at the end of 2005. We stayed there until 2008 with the global crash. His job was made redundant and we were trying to work out where we would go next. And he had a few job opportunities. One of them was obviously coming back to Europe. We decided to come back to Portugal. So you had never lived in Portugal before, right? We had a holiday house in Alentejo that we built in 2002. We bought the land in 2001 and built it in 2002. It was a little escape from the grey skies of London and the weather. So it was a little escape to sunshine. So where in Asia were you exactly? Was it Hong Kong or Singapore? We lived in Singapore. Ah, okay. And so amid the sort of the global financial crisis, what were the first things that you had to change immediately in terms of lifestyle, meaning life changes, but also perspective on your life in general? The thing is, when I was living in Singapore, I had the most amazing experience in the sense that for the first time in my life, Glenn was working and he had a work visa and I didn't have a work visa, so I wasn't allowed to work in Singapore. So I used the opportunity to question myself and I asked myself three questions. If I had all the time in the world, which I did, what would I do? If I had the money, what would I do? So it was basically, if I had all the time, all the money, what would I love to do? And passion? And passion. So basically, I used the three things that I absolutely love to do was um, love being creative. So I love painting and drawing. So I used the opportunity to put myself through painting classes. I also love to do is I loved empowering women through the way that they look at themselves. So I looked at the possibilities of personal styling and, and helping them because Singapore was a tropical country. A lot of expats moved to Singapore not knowing what to wear because of the climate and because of the shape 
Asia is full of tiny people and uh, European women were tall and broader. So they really struggled and their self-esteem was not great. And then also the thing is that I noticed is a lot of expats loved everything, all the new furniture, all the new decor and color, but they had obviously all the European furniture and pieces in their new apartments in Singapore. And I didn't know how to mix the two worlds together. And the, some of them would get rid of everything and start all over again. I was trying to, to find a niche in the market where I could help them to, one, not to throw anything out, because I've always been into sustainability, and to reuse what they had and incorporate Asian pieces. So basically it was a mixture of themselves to empower them through their home and through what they wore. So that was the first step for me where everything kind of came together. And that's what I really, really love to do. And I thought I'd use those three skills, the creativity of helping them choose art pieces, style their home and style them. So that period of my life was just absolutely amazing because everything kind of came together. I felt at my best and I didn't want it to end. The more work I got, it kind of fed. One job fed the other. So Friends would recommend me to help them either with their personal styling, with making them clothes, to buying clothes, to styling their home. So it was really amazing. And then suddenly everything changed. The global crash, Glenn lost his job. I had to now reinvent myself again and come into Portugal. I thought I'm Portuguese, born in Mozambique, which was one of the colonies. I thought that... Portugal would have been the easiest country to settle in because I spoke the language, um, you know, I had a Portuguese nationality, but it was actually the hardest country to settle. It took me three years to really embrace the change, the, the, the place, and Portugal at the time in 2008 was also going through a terrible time. Well, everybody was globally, but Portugal was going through a huge transformation. Tourism started picking up, but there was a lot of interest in remodeling, changing old family homes and turning them into guest houses. So I saw the fact that I had our holiday home and it was already part set up. I needed to make some changes to turn it into a guest house. And I thought, well, this would be a really wonderful way to bring the world to me now that I wasn't able to travel as much as I did how can I travel without leaving my home? So we decided that we would turn our holiday house into a guest house. The whole process took a really long time from 2008 and we only opened at the end of 2014, November 2014. What was it that you had been doing previously before moving to Singapore and then realizing that you couldn't actually work legally in that country? Because of the political situation in, in Mozambique, Portugal declared independence to all the African colonies in 75. So my parents were both born in Mozambique. They didn't have any ties to the mainland Portugal, that is, besides their parents. So my grandparents were born in, in Portugal. So they didn't want to leave Mozambique. The country was in a basically civil war. My sister and I needed to go to school. So at that point, my parents decided to send my sister and I to South Africa, which is a neighboring country, to go to school. And so my sister and I moved to Johannesburg, 
And we basically lived there for 20 years, finished school, started working, South Africa, because of all the changes during apartheid, past apartheid, it started becoming extremely dangerous. Crime was very high. And unfortunately, we were personally affected by all these changes and the crime that was happening in South Africa. My cousin at the time, he was only 31, he was shot and killed outside a, a nightclub in Johannesburg. And then my dad, who was living in Mozambique at the time, was driving up to the funeral. And um, on the way, he was hijacked and killed. This was in 98. So at that time, it was like probably the worst time in my life where I lost both my dad and my cousin. I just saw there wasn't any point for me to stay in South Africa. It was dangerous. I didn't see a future. Just as I was going through this process of losing my dad and cousin, I was trying to reassess what I was going to do. And I met Glenn. I was working in an advertising agency in Johannesburg. And our company was merging with a multinational. So basically we met. And so the fact that I already wanted to leave South Africa, it was a great opportunity for me and a huge incentive for me to leave South Africa and, and move to Europe. We had a long distance relationship for about a year before I took the leap of faith and moved to London. And then um, lived in London for about seven and a half years. So growing up amidst political turmoil, obviously, as a child, you can't understand or comprehend. How has that shaped you as a person in terms of, did it create a certain resilience to understand that sometimes the world is bigger and beyond your own control? Or did it create sort of boundaries for yourself, like a certain kind of fear, right? That no matter where you are, things can turn on a dime and the world can become chaotic. What I realized is that as humans and that experience, because it was such hard and difficult times growing up in the civil war, I didn't become hard. I still remain soft and gentle and caring, but you become so strong and things have got to be so hard for me to actually take notice that it's difficult where people complain or whinge about certain things of their lives and I find it difficult to relate because my reality was so extreme that things for me need to be really really bad for me to kind of go oh gosh this is serious because growing up everything around you know from age of five during those 20 years of civil war in, in Mozambique and going backwards and forwards two different realities my sister and I, for instance, would leave Johannesburg to go to Mozambique to visit our parents at the school holidays. And my aunt would put us on an overnight train in Johannesburg at six o'clock in the afternoon, which was pitch black. And we would, two girls would travel on an overnight train 12 hours to the border of Mozambique on our own. It was a completely different reality. And then we would step out of that train from South Africa and cross no man's land from South Africa to Mozambique. And suddenly it was a different reality. It was almost like stepping into another reality where, you know, the train was completely unsafe. There was no windows. There were loads of people. There was animals on the train. There was just chaos. And then the fact that we were boarding this train to cross over no man's land between South Africa and Mozambique and waiting for, hoping to meet our parents on the other side, which we didn't know 
they were going to be there because they had to make a journey from the capital of which was Maputo and is Maputo to the border of South Africa and Mozambique. And that whole journey was also quite turbulent because they had to travel in a convoy with an army tank in the front and an army tank at the back and five cars in order to have a safe journey to be protected, to come and meet us, to pick us up. And then they would pick us up and have the same journey all the way back to Maputo. How many years did you do that? So basically throughout my whole childhood, basically all my school years, Mozambique went through a civil war between 1975 to 95. It was the end of the civil war, so it was 20 years of civil wars. The tragedy and the sadness was that my dad lived and worked in the farms in the bush. He ran farms, so he risked his life for 20 years in the bush. And then in 98, post-Civil War, when he was um, hijacked and killed, that was the, his ending, which was very, very sad to someone that had survived such difficult times. During those 20 years of the Civil War, in order for him to survive as well in the bush, he had to gain quite a few skills. A few times he was arrested because they thought he was a spy. So that was a tragic ending for him. Did they ever consider leaving during those 20 years? Briefly, the independence happened in 75. And in 78, things started getting, the Civil War was really during that time. And my parents were a little bit scared. And so they thought initially they would come to Portugal. And very briefly, they came over to Portugal and bought an apartment just as a safety net. But my dad very soon realized that he couldn't live in a concrete jungle of a city. Bought the apartment, moved back to Africa, and then decided to, that they needed to find a way to give us some sort of an education. So that was when they, my aunt, who was living in family that was living in South Africa, said that they would give us some support if we moved there. The two of us, my sister and I, and well, my parents stayed in Mozambique. They also thought of maybe moving to South Africa. But by 78, when my parents decided, okay, we're going to go, South Africa had closed the borders and said there was no more refugees. They wouldn't take them anymore. So we stayed in South Africa, carried on our schooling, and my parents stayed in Mozambique. They never left. No. When you talk about your childhood, which sounds like a movie, I mean, not trying to make light of your background, but we've seen those films and the sort of the beauty and also the savagery of Africa is kind of the way people see it. And then you talk about how you found your calling in a way by asking yourself those three questions and answering those three questions. And the answer that you've come up with is so soft and so much about creating beauty in the world, empowering women to feel good in the ways in which they dress, which is a form of their own creative identity, but also creating environments. Where do you draw the inspiration from that? Do you think that some of what you saw in terms of the vast beauty of Africa amid all of the turmoil has in some ways informed your aesthetic and your ability to see beauty in life, having seen so much that was not beautiful? I think it inspires your imagination because it inspires you to create a better world. 
And that's what I used to do as a, a young girl in Mozambique. If you had money, you couldn't buy any toys. There was nothing available. So we would make things. I would paint uh, river rocks that were quite smooth. I would paint them. I would use the pip of the mango. And some of the mangoes had, when they dried, they had a lot of fiber. So the fiber, well, I would turn it into hair and I would make faces. So basically what I felt was that everything around me was so ugly and so unsafe. I created my own imaginary world. I think that's what happens is when you don't have things available given to you, it inspires you to be creative. I was always around and surrounded by nature because of being in the bush and uh, being surrounded by nature and beautiful things. So I think that is what brought it all to life was the fact that nature allowed me to go within. And that is basically when we talk about everything is within us, happiness is within us, our love is within us. So I went inside because everything outside wasn't pleasant. So by going inside, I created my own imaginary world. And then I realized how much comfort that was. It didn't matter what was going around me. I had my safe place. So I quickly realized that creativity, the more you create, the more you become creative, the more you things come out. So it was almost like an ocean, you know, it's, it just keeps flowing. That's how I kind of overcome the sadness in my childhood was through creativity. I think that's a beautiful point. One of the things that I've noticed in doing all of these interviews is everybody survives whatever their challenge is. But the one characteristic that everybody shares with each of the interviewees is this idea of creativity, to be able to see beyond what is in front of them, to be able to reimagine themselves or reimagine their lives. So I think that's a beautiful point. Can we go back to when you said you arrived in Portugal and it was actually more challenging to come back to Portugal than you had imagined? Beyond the fact that the world was kind of challenging economically, were there other challenges culturally that you found very hard to relate to, even though you are of Portuguese descent? The Portuguese from the colonies were very different in their mindset to the Portuguese in Portugal. Because I studied in South Africa, I didn't study Portuguese history. I didn't quite understand where that had come from. My personality, I'm very curious as a person. And I think that is kind of my journey is being curious and because I'm curious. So I looked into what made me different to the Portuguese from Portugal. They're very hospitable and they're very welcoming to people from outside. And that's why a lot of Portugal has opened their arms to a lot of foreigners embracing people from the outside. And I couldn't quite understand the huge contrast as, you know, the way that they saw me. You know, I can reinvent myself and create different things, but I can't lie about who I am. And I couldn't lie about the fact that I was Portuguese. So when people asked me, and at the time, my Portuguese was not fantastic. I spoke with a strange accent. I soon realized there was a huge cultural difference because Portugal went through 40 years of dictatorship with Salazar, which in the colonies, we were free from that. We didn't have the eyes of the dictator on people. So people were very open-minded. They didn't live in fear or overlooking over their shoulders. So that's when I, I realized that um, how different and freedom played a huge part. One of the things that I valued the most was freedom. And this is one of the reasons why I left South Africa when I noticed that I wasn't able to be free anymore. And I felt that Portugal 
represented that freedom in the sense that it's a small country, there's no crime. But I had a lot of adjusting to do as far as trying to work things out, how I could adapt. And I thought, no, I can do this. I just need to find a way to adapt. This is when I thought, I'm a foreigner. It's not my country. And I realized that I'm a nomad wherever I've lived. I was a nomad in Africa, in Mozambique, in my own country, because even though I was you know, born in Mozambique, when the independence happened and the war happened, I was the wrong color. I wasn't welcomed in my own country. So in South Africa, I was a foreigner in South Africa. I went to England and I was a foreigner. I went to Singapore, I was a foreigner. So I realized, hang on a second, I don't need to belong anyway. I'm a nomad. I don't need to belong. As long as you're okay with yourself and who you are as a person, that's okay. That was a huge shift for me. So when you guys decided that perhaps you would turn your vacation home into a guest house, neither of you had ever done anything like that. What were some of the most challenging moments that you encountered as you embarked on this next phase of both your lives? It was interesting because I remember in the early days when I mentioned to friends the idea of turning our home into a guest house, everyone said, oh gosh, are you crazy? You don't come from hospitality. Our house was always an open house for family and friends. We would um, host basically everybody all the time when we came to Portugal. So our friends and family would have a check-in date and we never knew when they were checking out. So they would come and I would cook for them and I would look after them and and they would just stay. So that was what originally gave me the idea to do this. I felt the space, the land itself was magical and people didn't want to leave. And then the other thing that I also realized that we as human beings, we're so simple. We just want to be nurtured and uh, loved So you feed them and you give them love and warmth of your house. That's it. They didn't need anything else. That's all they needed. So I thought those were the main ingredients that I needed. And I didn't need the experience. I didn't need the fact that a house didn't have all the perfect conditions to host or to be a hotel or to be whatever people were trying to dictate to me you can't do this because you don't have this you can't do it because you don't have that and I thought so what I don't have everything I have the main ingredients I have the willing to to serve and to welcome them into my home I didn't want our guest experience to feel like a hotel I wanted to meet different people from different parts of the globe and I wanted to share our journey with them the way that our house is decorated, has different pieces from Africa, from Asia, from Portugal. So I wanted our guests to travel with us. And then when they came in, they would pick up on different things. And that would be the starting point of a conversation. And would say, oh my God, where did this come from? This reminds me of somewhere they had been. That started the conversation. So I felt that that was all the ingredients that I needed. To be honest, since we opened in 2014, and at the time we only had five rooms when we opened, we haven't really changed much now. We have 10 rooms in our approach and the way that um, we welcome total strangers into our house. And what I wanted them to feel is that they were either in a friend's house or a friend of a friend. 
I can attest to what you're describing since I stayed with you and felt as though you and Glenn became friends of ours after those two nights. But I want to go back to a beautiful point that you brought, and it's kind of an interesting dichotomy in terms of, you know, you realize that you were essentially a nomad and probably would be for the rest of your life, but yet what you wanted to do with the guest house was to bring the world to you. And I think the two contrasts are so interesting. Can you kind of talk about that in the ways in which this idea of you being a nomad informs how you want essentially the world to come to you and for you to experience the world through these relationships? I felt that I, with opening the guest house, I didn't have the freedom to travel as much as we had traveled before and we love traveling. And the reason why I love travel was the fact that you meet lots of different people, you see beautiful places, and you eat fantastic food. It um, awakens your senses. So I wanted to do the same. I wanted to meet lots of people. That was a given. But I also wanted to encourage people to awaken their senses the way that my senses were awakened whenever I traveled because of the smells, because of food, because of visual aspects. So with our space and the fact that since we bought the land that had healing potential and certain calmness that it forced people to just be still, I thought that by me using my travel and my past, my nomad kind of experiences, brought all those tools almost like my journey into like a little a little big rucksack where I put lots of different experiences throughout my life in this project I'm using every single tool that I've collected and put in my rucksack and now I've taken them out almost like like a magic trick and I bring it all out from different things so to awaken people's senses so that it grounds them to look going within the same way that I had to go within because of my life situation. Not everybody needs to go through a civil war to go within. So I was trying to to help people to slow down, even if it was just for a couple of nights. The intention behind was to help them to press the reset button, to go within. And nature does that for them without them realizing. And then I do the rest. I then bring in all my tools, all my skills from all my magic tricks from my little rucksack. My main intention for doing this project was to help people go within, ground themselves. And it reminds me of what you said about your childhood and having to use your imagination. In a sense, that's what you've done, right? Exactly. That rucksack has as much of that imagination as you've probably created throughout your entire childhood and life. Yeah, exactly. From living in all those different countries with different cultures, it allowed me to be very understanding and respectful of cultures and being very open. So in a non-judgmental way, I have amazing memories of... um, Growing up in Mozambique where I had no one to play with besides the children on the farm. So all these experiences throughout my life, they were colorful and they were meaningful, but it also allowed me to be open 
That's a great place to end. So the last question I always ask is if there is one song that resonates with you or feels as though the songwriter was writing about you or for you, what is the song and why? Oh, wow. I should have done my homework on this one. (laughs) Like a song that whenever you hear, sometimes I hear a song and I just get kind of teary-eyed, don't know why, or a song that makes me feel really happy, don't know why. Every time this is a modern song, it's by the weekend. They call me the annoying optimist because I always see positive in everything. I never see the negative in any situation. And so the weekend have this great song. I see it coming. And for me, I always see something amazing coming. It always makes me smile because that's exactly what I see. I always see something amazing coming. It's coming. No matter how bad my life has been, I always see something amazing coming. Thank you, Bernie. That is amazing. So can you tell us the name of your beautiful B&B and how people can find you? It's called Paraíso Escondido, which means hidden paradise because we are surrounded by nature in the middle of nature. And our show notes will have the proper spelling for that. And they can find you on Instagram, I'm sure, under that name, right? Yes, it is. Beautiful. Living in harmony. Paris Escondido, living in harmony. Because that's what I always say. It's always living in harmony. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the phoenix to be reborn their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Juliana Kimbrand. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Brian Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it. I'ma say this because okay. we gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat hey. rack. Focused hey. on the future, not that coulda, yeah. shoulda, would. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.